You're listening to 92.9 FM KPCR LP Santa Cruz. Hi, I'm Michael J. Wilson, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Michael J. Wilson. He's the author of A Labyrinth Fiction, and it's out on Stalking Horse press michael how are you <laughs> i I'm say that great. right um, I, I love i love that you're I, like I, <laughs> it was it's okay it's just it's just very hot tea so it's all right okay. if i do that it doesn't it's only a slight injury <laughs> no i really love that because like right i was like kind of reading that and then right when i look up Right when I said, how are you? I realized it was a very wrong time to ask you a question when you have a mouthful of liquid. It was the perfect time because I, so full disclosure, I spend most of my days working. I work from home and I do a lot of Zoom meetings. So I got some hot mint tea to kind of keep me being able to talk to you while we have this conversation. (laughs) So, so what, so what kind of business are you in where you do Zoom? Are you, are you an OnlyFans site? Yes, that's exactly. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Man, I it probably there's probably more money in it actually. Yeah, yeah. Um I I am um, no, so I work for an incredibly weird immersive arts company called Meow Wolf. We I've heard do of them. These Yeah, you know, it's 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 50/50 chance whether you've heard of us or not. So what okay. we do is we build giant um full-scale immersive art experiences. And they're usually in like two to three-story buildings. We have one here in Santa Fe, uh, New Mexico, which is where I am. We have one in Denver, Colorado, one in Las Vegas, Nevada, and one that just opened in Grapevine or Dallas, uh, Texas. And they are, each of the exhibits has a self-contained story. So it's both a story and visual immersion. So you... I'll use the one here in Santa Fe as the example. You walk in and it's a house and you go inside the building, go in, open the door, and then you're in the front yard of a house. And then you get to explore this house and uncover who the people are. Um, and I I am the senior story editor and lore keeper. That is my actual job title for the company. <laughs> Lord keeper? Is that what you Lore, 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 lore. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, so when you're writing, I, when you're, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that. Uh, so it's my job to kind of help keep continuity going. It's kind mm-hmm. of my, and so I spend an awful lot of day talking to people online, being like, "Hey, that thing you want to do, that's really cool." But here's what we already established. Let's massage it so this makes sense. <laughs> and who establishes kind of the um, who establishes the concept from an idea to actually starting to put together the uh, installation. So, you know, the way we do things, it's so funny, like the closest comparison people always compare us is to like a Disney, but we do things in such a more like chaotic, loose way than that they ever would do stuff. So the answer is we do it kind of by group. So, you know, we have a lot of meetings where we sit together and talk about what we're excited about, talk about what we want to do, talk about what we're working on. And like, like the things we're reading, the things we're watching and just like what stories we want to tell and what characters we want to do and what art we want to make. And then we just sort of refine it by just deciding like, 
how they fit together in little pieces. So like your idea and this idea, they go together like this, that idea, it's really cool, but let's save it for something else. And then we over time figure out what we're making. Um, and then from there, a story develops, a theme develops, and then uh, eventually the artworks get made, the things get written, and then we open and we hope people like it enough to buy tickets. <laughs> you know, that sounds like a dream job. That's exactly how I write my novels. <laughs> I essentially, oh, yeah. I mean, I kind of just pants it for a while. I think I know what I'm doing and I kind of, you know, and, it, and then it's just, it, it's almost like six months of you know, working and finally something starts to emerge where I'm like, oh, the story's not even about that. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Definitely. And so I, my background's in poetry. So the new book is I'm, we're, we're calling it a novel. I'm going to put heavy air quotes around that because it's, it's, um, heavy air it's quotes lyric and it's he heavy, heavy air quotes, like three air quotes, like quote, 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 a novel, quote, 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 quote. Um, because it, I would argue it reads more like poetry in a lot of ways and it's very lyric and weird. Um, but my, since my background's in poetry, I am, garbage at pre-planning stuff i know that like there's going to be poets out there who can be like you know fuck you michael for saying poets don't plan because but like the reality is like you know poetry in a lot of way it's it's emotive so you sort of like throw something at the page and then refine it and so like what you just said like that's how i wrote this book that's how i write so i i think in a lot of ways my day my day job really reflects that like my brain can't handle too much organization <laughs> yeah and it's well the and the, there's a uh, here's my thing and that's why it works for me i know things work for di different ways for different people but i'm really trying to connect to i, I don't know what the what is for a while but i know mm -hmm. that i i usually start with something that irritates me and i just keep going from there and there and, and more and more and more and dive in and in and in and then all of a sudden the what starts to show itself and it had nothing to do with whatever was happening way back there. And I'm all, I mean, that's just, just happened on this brand new book I've been working on where I'm just like, Oh my God, <laughs> I got to take out like almost everything, but this is, yeah. but the, the pieces were there and the characters were there, but it was all kind of doing, it was all wrong, but I had to sit there in the wrongness of it. And then finally the characters are like, dude, you're doing it wrong. And I'm like, Oh my God, you're right. Thanks for telling me. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about writing is that moment where the writing like tells you where you're wrong or tells you where to go. Like suddenly it holds up a big stop sign like Wile E. Coyote or something in like yeah. an old cartoon. And it's just like, no, stop, stop, go this way or you're going to go off the cliff or go off the cliff. That might be fun too. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a pretty, yeah. Like I think in a lot of ways, my writing is very much, um, I come up from a place of I love that you write from a thing that annoys you as a starting point. That's awesome. I wish that that was a way that I could write from because I there are so many things in the world that I'm annoyed about. <laughs> I wish that I could start there. For me, it's a thing that like the nugget, that little starting point is usually an obsession. It's a thing that like I can't get out of my brain. It's a thing that either I keep dreaming about or I keep finding myself going down an, inter an internet research rabbit hole, or it's a thing that I find myself like an image I keep coming back to. And that becomes the thing that I then say, I'm going to write this out of me because otherwise I just won't sleep at night or I won't be able to talk about anything else and I'm going to annoy all my friends. So I, that's usually where things start. So um, 
my my first book is really interesting. So my first book of poetry is it's a collection of poetry and it's called A Child of Storm. That book started from a little bit of an obsession I had with Nikola Tesla. I was I became deeply obsessed with this man who ultimately was a failed inventor, you know, like mm -hmm. he made a lot of things that were still very relevant. And today I would argue so many of the things that he came up with now, actually we use day to day, Wi-Fi, wireless mm -hmm. electricity, the whole mm -hmm. concept of electric cars, like these things were things he thought of, but they sat for a hundred years before they became useful in his lifetime he was a bit of a failure and people thought of him as a crank and a madman. And he, you know, would build giant machines that didn't do much. And so like, I became obsessed with this idea of like a guy who ultimately is brilliant, but invents things no one wants. And so I wrote a book of poetry about Nikola Tesla um, because I was like, why? Like, because I couldn't get this idea of like the invention no one wants out of my brain. And it's really funny because I think that the same obsession has bled through to the new book. The new book's about Daedalus and the building of the labyrinth. And I think of Daedalus as being kind of very similar to Tesla in a lot of ways because he invented things that were very much wanted, but then they caused immense tragedy around him. <laughs> and so like, I see him as kind of like the actual like slightly evil inventor that people thought Tesla was for so long. You know, he he's the Edison, I guess, to Tesla. <laughs> yeah. It's it's so intri it's so intriguing, you know, it's I wish it's cuz it's just it would be so much fun to be there in these times like in the when just to, mm. it would be so much fun just to be living when Tesla is around cuz we have our we have our um oh, you know, it's like the afterthought and the afterwards and we have we we know the story. We know how the story plays out. And so now we have this this is how the story rings in our head now. And mm -hmm. but but wouldn't it be I we just if we could just get a time machine, first I would go invest in a ton of stocks and make a ton of money. And um and then Apple, time Apple stock. <laughs> <laughs> time cop would come and get me, and then I'd be locked up for years. Yep. But then just to be around these people to really see what the day-to-day -day was, you know, it's just yeah. You know, um, I went to, so I went to grad school in New York and I mm -hmm. loved the, the, just the excuse of being in that city was really wonderful. But um, on Houston where Nikola, where Tesla's like lab used to be, it's like a coffee shop or a restaurant now, but right across is where the Angelica movie theater is. So every time I went to go see a movie, I would just like look across and be like right there is where all of this happened, like literally right there. And you'd look at it and it's like, I don't, I, it's like some chain nonsense now. It's like a Walgreens and a Starbucks and something else. And you'd look at it and be like, it's such a shame that like, I can't see into what it was for him um, or like what this just was. You're like, and New York's a fascinating city just for like the, in, like New York is a, a, it's one, it's a city that constantly changes to a point where you can't really see the history of it. There are lots of cities in the world where I think you can see the history. Like London's a good example. You turn a corner and there's a 1000 year old building, right? And like you see the layers of history, but New York, you have to kind of like look at something and look for the history in, in, a, in a way because we put, you know, that building that's 200 years old is now an H&M. <laughs> right. And like it has been refronted and has like ads on it and it's it's not what it used to be and it doesn't look remotely the same. And like even, you know, they they constantly are reinventing and that's why New York's wonderful. But like 
I just, I, cause like what you were just saying, like, I remember standing in front of the movie theater one night and I don't remember what I had just gone to see. And I was with a friend and we were talking about how like Tesla's lab was right there. And wouldn't it be amazing if I could go look at the way the lab used to look like instead of going and buying a cheap sandwich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, but, but at the same time, I'm really hungry. Right. At the same time, I want a sandwich and a cup of coffee. So that's, <laughs> we'll just, let's just go in there and do that. And like, and, and it's sort of, you know, and that's the magic of, cause you can have that conversation. They're like, yeah, let's go get a cup of coffee. And yeah. then immediately it goes and, and yeah. And, and as much as I would love to go back in time and see those times and see them for real, I also, you know, I'm a pansy. I can't, I love modern conveniences. I would be, I would last two seconds. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? <laughs> yeah. It, it's crazy to think about. I was uh, like, even when um, I, I was not to sound, not to sound like a total douchebag, but this will sound like a total about douchebag. I was reading Proust. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, oh, you know, uh, no, no, I have the entire, I have the entire like yeah. volume set over here. So like, no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm on volume four. I'm working my way through. So, but um, amazing. Yeah. And I'm loving it. It's not like I'm doing it in a way that's just like going, oh, with, you know, this is drudgery. I'm, um, I'm, I'm just like, it's just kind of feeling my, I, 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 Put, I'm on volume four and I've taken about three to four months off. So I'm kind of mm -hmm. gotten out of his head for a little bit, but I read the first three volumes pretty much after one another. So I was in his head, but almost too much. And I'm like, I got to get out of his head for a bit, but Oh, he was, um, he was talking. It was a, at a time in Paris where he was just disgusted that all these motor cars were starting to hit the streets because it was horse and carriage. It's like, Oh my God. Yeah. Now we got these guys just tearing it up on the streets with these motor cars ruining our streets yeah yeah and it's just like you know it, yeah okay so the horse has to poop sometimes it smells weird in the carriage but then we keep going that's normal this new thing's not cool so, i'm not in and it's creating look at these ruts in the road and the kicking up the mud they're going too fast no and yeah. it's yeah i and i mean but the thing is Proust is so funny because like he really just wanted to sit in a field and eat cookies. Like he really didn't want to do anything. So. <laughs> he really yeah. just didn't want. I mean, he lived at that time where I think he just he he was like I wouldn't paint him as like anti modernity or anything, but like he clearly was he longed for like like gardens and big houses and just like relaxing by a brook <laughs> yeah i think there was a, i think there's some agoraphobia and severe like stuff going on plus he was ill like for the last 17 years of his life so he oh. only spent that in a room um with you know with his servant yeah. coming to you know collect his feces he, and give him more food i guess he was a sweet a sweet frail queer man and that yeah exactly <laughs> and he wasn't you know there's a you know that it's funny i um it's funny that you're reading that. So I've read the whole thing. Oh, really? I read, I, 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 yeah, I challenged myself to read In Search of Lost Time when I was in college. I was on okay. this whole kick of like, you know, I, I've always been sort of like a very booky, like dude. Like I, I've always, I was always that young, like, hermity gay dude. Like I was like, you know, like I was always like, <laughs> no, I don't want to go outside. I'm bad at sports. Yeah. I don't want to climb trees. I want to 
live in stories and I'm afraid of the world. You know, I, mm -hmm. I was a teenager at the height of the AIDS pandemic. Um, I was deeply afraid of the world. I was afraid of my queerness. So I retreated to books. I just read. Um, yeah. And that kind of held over for a really long time. And it still probably is hanging out inside me somewhere. But um, as in college, I was like, I'm going to read just like all of these classic massive books. So I read In Search of Lost Time. I read Ulysses. I tried really hard to finish Finnegan's Wake and never finished it. I like, I, I read like, I, I would read like Henry James volumes. Like I just read like these massive books um, because it just sort of became this obsession. So in college, I read all of In Search of Lost Time. But here's the thing. I don't remember any of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow because yeah i'm reading it now and i'm like i don't think my younger me would actually read it like like older me older me is just going like kind of oh i can just sink into this even with ulysses yeah. i tried ulysses when i was in my 30s and i just and I, I was like no come on what what no and then it took me like it took me going dude maybe you're the problem sit down and relax and try to find out what ulysses <laughs> yeah. is and then just kind of go yeah. with it and then i was the problem because i loved it yeah and i think the key and i, I would actually be really interested to reread re um the books now because i think i would come to it where you're talking about. i think i'd be able to meet it now because i think in my 20s there was this sort of thing of like, I've got to read these and I've got to do it now. I've got to read these now. And like, it was sort of like, it's the wrong energy for a, a ridiculous doorstop of a series that is about just sinking into the self and being in the self. Like that's not, you can't come to it with the energy of like, I have to read this now. Right. <laughs> it's just not, that's not the vibe that Proust was doing. And like, it, I, I actually would be really interested to try to reread I loved Ulysses at the time. And I think rereading it now would also be really interesting. I'm not a big rereader. That's right. also like a weird thing. Like I have friends who like read the same book once a year. And I'm like, I don't know how you do that. I do not know how you do that. There are so many books in the world that I want to read and I have to keep reading new ones. Um, but I would really love to revisit like Ulysses or, or give Finnegan's Wake another shot because it's beautiful writing. And I yeah. think I might be able to appreciate the slowness of it these days. <laughs> yeah. I've never tried Finnegan's wake. It's on my list. Um, it's it does. Beast. I really have to say that it's me. a beast. It's I mean, <laughs> Ulysses used to scare me and then, but, uh, but I made it through and I, I'm, and I, and I want to read Ulysses again. And, and I was, I was listening to this one guy's lectures about it as I was reading Ulysses. And, um, and he was saying the first time you read Ulysses is actually the second time you read Ulysses. It's kind of like oh. you need to read Ulysses and then you can read Ulysses. And I'm just, it's just kind of like, I was like, Oh, great. I got to read this twice as I was reading it. And then by like, but by the last, you're like, I have to read this book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But by the last episode, like especially Molly's free verse uh, episode, where it's just all in her stream of consciousness. I was crying. Uh, I was just, I was so gutted. And I, it was just like, it, it was all worth it. Yeah, no, it is. And like the, and part of what's the part of what's, I think, you know, it's so funny. Like I'm not necessarily a canon person, but like part of why Joyce is amazing and like why I'm like, everyone must read this old dead white dude from Ireland. You must <laughs> is like it, the, the work you put into it, it, the payoff of the work I as a reader put in is actually such a huge part of the artwork and it's magic. Like you get to the yeah. end and you're like, 
I worked for this. I worked for this. And the ex like what you're talking about, like that emotional release at the end of like, you're right, that final section, part of why that final section is so beautiful is that you have put the work in that it's an emotional release for you. Like you get to the end oh. and you're just like, I want to sob now. I want to cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I want to like release this. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't think of it that way. But now looking back, I can see it that way. Cause it is, it is I like you reading gotta, you, that makes me work for it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, yeah, it's, it depends how much work I have. Not to always, do. If, not always. Right. Right. If I'm doing the work where I'm like, Oh, well, they, you know, maybe they should have sought an editor. <laughs> then, then, then yeah, it's just I mean, like, <laughs> I, I'm not going to name names. I don't want to name names of books that I think are bad because I think if you're a writer, you know, it's hard enough. Like if you were, right. even if you're a bad writer, you still are a writer. You deserve yeah. to at least be praised for having done it. But like, there have definitely been books where I'm like, if I'm having to fill in the gaps, that's the wrong kind of work. If I'm yeah. having to think about the writing as I go, it's like looking at a beautiful painting. Like I, I want to like immerse myself in it in some way. And sometimes that means fully putting in work, you know, like fully like giving work and reading that sentence 10 times and like putting in the mental exertion. And then sometimes it just means like letting this kind of goofy, slightly trashy, like sci-fi novel just wash over me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and those, and sometimes those are even harder to write. Like I always tell my students, if oh. the book reads breezy and is a page turner, you have no idea how hard it is to write that. Well, it's like the old, it's like the sayings about how hard comedy actually is. Like there's a reason it's like good comedy is like some of the hardest things you'll ever see because it, it, it's hard to just come across that easy. It's hard to make yeah. me forget myself enough to laugh, you know, and I'm working yeah. on a new project right now that is a very by the, by the beat. Like it's very much like a formulaic, like murder mystery, like very like, like murder mystery novel. And it has been so hard. <laughs> it has been so hard to work within such a tight formula that has tropes attached to it. And you can play with those obviously, but it's not a murder mystery if it doesn't have them there in some way yeah. or address them. So like the <clears throat> hardest thing for me is, and, and you know, I'm, I'm about two thirds through this thing and it's been so difficult to like adhere to the formula because I want to break the formula. I want to be like weird with it. And I'm like, yes, but you have to get that formula down before you can start expanding from it. I realize, I, I realize, by the way, I talk with my hands, but no one's going to see me doing that every day. <laughs> oh yeah. Well that, and we're also looking into each other's eyes and no one's going to see that either. So, you know, yeah. some people go, Oh, I'm, I, I have someone like three, well, someone a while back was like, I'm camera shy when, when, and I was just like, Okay, well, turn your camera on, or there's no show. <laughs> it's just like I'm yeah. not gonna sit here and talk. <laughs> like I'm not kidding. Like, <laughs> it's it's a repeat if your camera shy. Someone else is gonna get the yeah. spot. It blows my because mind like, how many people are like, "I'm camera shy." I'm like, so what would we do if we were yeah. in person? Would you put a bag over your head? Yeah, that person would just like retreat. And, you know, I mean, I get it because like, you know, I'm a writer, you're a writer as well. So like there is this tendency to be very like insular. Like there is that tendency yeah. to be like, I do this for myself with myself all the time. Right. Talking about myself is awkward as hell. It's yeah. weird. You know, like I get that. You know, we're all we're all vague introverts here. Yeah. But like. I don't know. I love 
I, I don't know. Conversation is the, my favorite part of what I do day to day. And like part of why, you know, my job is so good for me is that like, I get to talk to people all day. Yeah. <laughs> about like, story. About story and about yeah. weird stuff, about like the weirdest parts of story and about riffing on things, you know, like, and, you know, I was, um, the way I, I paid through school was I was a barista and a bartender. And part mm -hmm. of why I loved that work is that, I mean, I was a barista for almost 15 years, basically. And like part of why I loved that work is that I got to talk to the most random humans every day and I got to see them. And, you know, we'd have repeat customers who you become friendly with. But like the coolest part was like getting to have loose conversations for like two minutes with a stranger and then they go away and then you have another one and then you have another one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the best part of that. It's so much. It's so good. It's little mini stories just over and over. It's like over and over again. It's like dopamine hit after dopamine hit. Yeah, I can see that. Wait, what? But what about when the cut? I mean, did you have a did you work at a place where customers can also be kind of awful? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. the, so the place I worked at is no longer there. I worked at this place in Park Slope in Brooklyn called the Tea Lounge. Um, really wonderful, like late '90s, early 2000s coffee shop with like a giant room full of couches. At night, it was a jazz bar. It was wonderful. Oh, it's um, great. But like, yeah, it was great. It was wonderful. But like, the reality is like some of those people didn't move off those couches for like ten hours, and <laughs> those people would want you to basically like take care of them <laughs> and and like the worst part of that would be like you see people at their worst because they're not caffeinated you see people at their worst because they're working on a laptop all day and that gets rough and then you're also seeing people who kind of like use you as their office space and see you as like the custodial staff so like why is the bathroom not clean enough can you come pick up after me can and like that's lame, you know, and like, you know, people treat service workers really, really shitty. <laughs> it's, yeah, <laughs> you know. no, I mean, I, I used to do, I used to be a waiter and I did room service and this is before anyone would ever even bring a laptop to a, a, any place. They would have to bring, they would have to bring a full-size computer with a, with a monitor oh. that they would have to like lift with their legs. <laughs> so it, it's just, you know, but, um, but it, I, it blows my mind. How many people just sit there on their on their laptops? I live in Los Angeles, and I yeah, I go to a cafe. Uh, yeah, it's like three quarters of the room is screenwriter. It's wall to wall this. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> it's wall to wall. It's like screens. Right. I I write a, I write at cafes, but I handwrite, and then I type it oh. in when I when I get home at night, and then I print it out and I bring it on paper, and I look at everyone in the, in the cafe with lap with laptops. I look at them with disgust. Cause I am the better person. <laughs> I, I'm going to full. Yes. No, you are. And I'm going to fully agree with you, but because I have gone over to the dark side and I am one of those people who types in coffee shops now. And that happened because, so I, I fell and hurt my wrist a few years ago and I can no longer hand write for long periods oh of time. Oh my God. Breaks oh, my heart. Yes. I used to, you know, I used to keep journals. I have stacks of old journals that I used to keep. I used to always have a journal on me and a pen and yeah. would write all day, every day. And a few years ago I fell and I didn't, it, it's weird because I didn't even break it, but it was like, it was one of those things where it was in the perfect spot Ugh. where now I can't hold a pen for very long periods of time without it becoming painful. And I sit there and I'm disgusted with myself because I sit there and I'm like, here am I with my, <laughs> my, my laptop 
And I'm just sitting here taking up a seat, being that dude on a laptop in a coffee shop. And I look around and I'll look at everyone. I'm like, we're all those dudes in a coffee shop. Yeah. And I'm like, I hate all of us. <laughs> I hate everyone. <laughs> and like, I, I, and it, but so I've gotten, I am that dude now who types in a coffee shop and I weep. I weep every time, but it's but, how but, I have, but to. you it's, still go up okay. there. We have all, and you tell them you got to clean the bathroom, man. I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> look, I look, uh, I don't know what you guys are doing now, but please take care of me. <laughs> I am I am so nice. I, I'll be honest, I am so, so nice to coffee shop people because they get paid terrible and they provide us with liquid nourishment. Oh yeah. No, it's they, they provide us with like gold. They put gold into our yeah. systems. Oh, you know, I was at the cafe. And, and if I'm gonna sit there, yeah. Yeah, I was just I was and at the cafe for, for five hours. Yeah. Oh, I can, I can never do five hours. I can maybe do, I maybe do two and then I go for a long walk. Um, cause, and plus people irritate me at the cafe. You, you, usually there's, and usually there's some idiot on a zoom call. I've actually interrupted people on zoom calls cause they're so loud. I'll walk right up to them and go, Hey, how's it going? So I hear you guys are having a conversation and they will just, be, people will like want to kill me. And I'm like, no, no, you're the idiot in this. You're the, do you understand? Yeah. You're the person. I you're can the hear person. you. Like the whole room can hear you. Well, and it's, it's, yeah, we're all here. We're all here right now. And I hope this is an important conversation you're having. It's, yeah. you know, I'm, I honestly, it goes back to like, I've always been kind of like that. Like people who would put their phones on speaker in May public they places. May they die. Insane. Yeah, yeah. They need to be hit it, by cars. There was nothing. There was nothing worse than like you being stuck on a bus or in the subway with someone oh. who was like desperately trying to have like a speaker phone call. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would look at them. I'd be like, first off, how do you have service? I'd be like, I never get service in subway. Why is the asshole the one who gets service <laughs> right. all the time? Um, and then why does life work then, out for them? It, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then on top of it, I'm like, I don't need to hear you breaking up with your girlfriend. I don't need to hear you talking about like your weird, like business stuff that I really yeah. shouldn't be involved in. And like, and I feel very similar. It's funny. It's, um, I don't want to be weird about it, but I do feel like I, the people who I notice here in Santa Fe, Santa Fe is a, has an interesting mix of, it's a much older, like it skews older in general in the population. And so oftentimes I'll be sitting at coffee shops or I'll be walking around. It's always like boomers doing it. Uh -huh. And I find that really fascinating. Cause I'm just like, you know, I think, you know, I, I'm in my early forties. So I'm an old millennial, um, but I, and I grew up with computers and cell phones, but I did have a computer when I was in high school. I had a cell phone when I was in college. So I'm used to the tech. Um, but I find it really fascinating how like people who you'd think would do that often aren't always the ones who would do it. Yeah. Like I would think it would be kids being annoying in public on their cell phone, but often it's like a 75 year old person being annoying in public on their cell phone. And right. And then, and then it's like, well, what can we do about that? They're 75. You know, it's like, you can't and they like, probably and their asses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it depends on how you want to end your day. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I suppose no, officer, you, you don't, <laughs> officer, you don't understand. <laughs> he was you talking, they were being obnoxious. <laughs> yes. He was talking about his third colonoscopy and that it was clean. Who cares? Oh, oh. <laughs> I, I do find the Zoom call in public to be really, really, I was actually just in a coffee shop the other day and I was listening to the the this end of a Zoom call. And, you know, I, I'm guilty of this is like, 
this idea of like she the, the the woman who was on the zoom call in the coffee shop she was yelling she was like speaking louder because like i think there's that impulse of like you can't hear me enough so i'm going to talk louder because there's this technological thing between us yeah I, I do you know i think that that's just a natural tendency but she's sitting in a coffee shop essentially yelling into her laptop and she's got headphones in so you can't hear what's happening on the other end i can just imagine those poor people on the zoom call just being like please stop screaming at us. Right, right. <laughs> it was like so loud. The entire coffee shop was just watching her. It was so insane. But <laughs> no one we, said anything. <laughs> right. We live in a time where no one says anything. And like when I was younger, people would be, they, they would throw a bottle at someone who would, who did, who would do that, oh, yeah. you know? And it's just like. Bare minimum, you'd get a shh. But yeah. like, or like somebody would just whip something at you or just like, yeah, no, totally. <laughs> yeah. I grew up in San Francisco and it's just like in the eighties and nineties, it's oh. like, even, even if you yeah. like, even if you messed up in traffic, a bottle was flying your way. It's just like, we're oh, going to teach you a lesson yeah. and, it, and, but you can't and even not, do that in yeah. San Francisco anymore. No, you can't, you can't do it anywhere anymore. I mean, I bet maybe in New York. Uh, probably not actually. New York. No, gotten, it's because you I could mean, get. I mean, that's like <laughs> assault, and you know, it's almost like it's almost yeah, like a terrorist. Yeah. It's almost a terrorist attack instead of a. Oh yeah, I would have thrown well, the bottle at him too. <laughs> and I think we've gotten so used to like um, the public-private space. Like I think we've gotten so used to like, oh, you're work. You are a person who works in coffee shops on your laptop. This is your your private space is this bubble around your laptop where you're you're in your office right now so i think we've gotten very afraid to interrupt each other because we've started to see this blurring where like public space has become like the space right now do everything nothing's private anymore so like don't come bother me in my now public my now private yeah. space in this coffee shop um also just like that's how you end up on a that's how you end up on a TikTok video with someone like yelling about your behavior. That's how you get yeah. fired these days. No, no. I, and I have no I have no qualms about it. I will end up on the wrong side of a TikTok video at some point in my life. Oh, I yeah, same, same. I'm actually I I look forward to the day. Yes, <laughs> yeah. No, I've walked up to people I mean, I, it's Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, I I I, I, I was going to say nothing important. <laughs> me either uh, but i'll go first no i was a I, I, i've walked up to people with laptops where i where i where it's obviously not a screenplay and i go up to them and i'm like mm -hmm. are, you are you writing a novel and and, um, <laughs> and i've made friends doing that because they look at me and they go yeah and i'm like oh cool what are you writing <laughs> and then then all of a sudden yeah. and then they're like wait you write too and i'm like yeah and then all and then it's just like hey what's up sasha hey how you doing and then you know how's the kids that's the you know that's really nice. And I think um I, I think it's funny because like you're you're talking about how people are camera shy and stuff like that. And it's like my, my thing is like I struggle with approaching strangers in that space. It's funny because like for all my years as like viewing a barista and me even like loving those interactions, I had the safety of a counter between Oh me. yeah. And like our and like my role and that role were defined. Like I'm gonna make you a cup of coffee. So like I can just not talk to you and just say, what do you want? and go make it or I can have a conversation with you. And there was like a little bit of a safety there. And I have never been great at, I'm always the guy at a party who like hangs out with the dog, you know, like that's my, that's <laughs> what I, I am. Like, I'm always the guy who's like, if there's a room full of strangers, I'm going to go sit on the couch and hope someone comes and talks to me. I'm not going to come talk to you. I'm going to go chill somewhere in a corner with a drink. And, a, yeah. and some and like some food and wait for that to happen 
Um, and so like, but I do, I think getting out of that space, like make, if a coffee shop is going to be like weird public private space, like making it more friendly is always a good idea. You know, I think that makes sense. I mean, I was, I grew up in the eighties and like, I grew up pre, like I, I grew up pretty, well, I had a weird, okay. I grew up at like, the eighties were an interesting time. Like I, like I said, I'm a, I'm an old millennial. So like I had computers, but late, like I was like a, like 18 when I got like, my first computer, I think maybe 17 when I had my first computer and didn't have a cell phone until I was 20 ish, 21 ish. Um, so, but like, so my childhood was spent like running around in fields and like, you know, hanging out and doing stuff outside and like being a normal kid in the eighties. And so like, I, but I have found actually, very, actually I, like, building and I, developing a personality. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that was, that existed very much like separate from technology. And so it's been yeah. kind of interesting. And I've seen this in myself, like the slide into like my adoption of all these technological things has been really interesting to watch because it's like none of these things are things I had but I, that's what makes me a millennial, I guess, is I've now got them and I use them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, I buy um, in real fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and there's great things about technology too. There's, there, I love part of, like, I just, I was just at the library too. They know me, they know me, my, they, they don't even look at my, you know, it's like, I walk up with my books and they're like, hello, Anthony, because they only know me by my illegal name that they pull up, but they know exactly what to pull up. But one of the one of the clerks, he had he has an avocado tree. So he goes, oh, here you go, Anthony. Wow. And here's it. And here you go. Um, and I'm like, this is on yours. Your avocado. He's got guava tree, avocado tree. He always has had some Amazing. fruit for me. So the why did I bring that up? Because of oh, because the library still means everything to me. But at the same time, oh. I don't have to go there. I don't have to write all these books down and then go there and like I used to as a kid and be like, okay, now I got to see what a Henry Miller is. And then, so I have to go to the library and, and go through the right. Henry Miller section, which was lovely and amazing because I'm putting yeah. in the work. And at the same time, I'm sitting there going, Henry Miller. Well, who else should I read? Lawrence Durrell. Well, that's a good idea. And it's, it's a little and quicker. That, that connection. Yeah. And you know, and I'm a, I'm a person who will spend hours on Wikipedia. So I'm with you on this. Like I will sit and like research for hours. There's nothing I love more than just sort of like finding the connectivity of like this fact to that fact, to that fact. And then suddenly you're way over here, way off topic. And it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I, there's something magical about libraries in that just, there's a space designed for that to occur in. Um, and you're just given permission to like go pick up a book and then look through it and then go find another one. And like the, that, that permission to just sort of fall down a rabbit hole and then do it again and then do it again. And then maybe take some home with you if you want, you know, I, I guess that I, it's funny. Cause like, obviously libraries still exist, but there's not really a technology equivalent. I guess Wikipedia is a close approximation of it. Cause you have permission to go do whatever the hell you want on Wikipedia and keep going. Um, and I guess there's like weird, like, youtube people and twitch people who do things like this too but it doesn't feel the same to me it's not the same there's something less exciting about clicking a hyperlink on wikipedia and just getting i mean it's still fun to do but it's not as exciting as having to dig through a card catalog or yeah. a computer catalog and then going and finding a book 
and, and I'm set. And part of me is so upset because I'm sure they like just recycled all those old card catalogs. And I'm like, oh my god, all my favorite books. I would love to have a card. The or the the cards that they were in from the library. Oh. I would kill to just have all the all the old cards of these books. I mean, I'm sure I could recreate yeah. them, but it wouldn't be the same, man. It wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be the same. There, you know, I when I was a freshman in college, I worked in the library. That was my work study to help pay for college. And we, it was right at that edge. It was 99 was when I was a freshman in college. It was right at the edge when things were starting to really heavily be digitized, like, like fully digitized. And they still had a card catalog, but everything was done on the computer. They had a computer search for books, but there was a card catalog like hiding in the corner. Like they yeah. had moved it to the far back corner and it was way over there in the corner and you could still go look through it, but it was there. And it was, and like, I remember like no one ever used it cause you didn't have to, you would just get on a computer and search for stuff. Right. Um, but like, it was so awesome that it was still there. It was gone. I think by my sophomore year in college, by like 2001 or two, I think it was gone. Yeah. Um, they freed up the space because then they put it in computers. They put it in a computer lab. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which they put out in a to... row of of IMAX. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So 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 where did you grow up? Because yeah, so you moved to New so, York, and that so yeah. Where... So I was in New York. I have a a complicated backstory. I'm I have a yeah. com- I have a complicated character origin story. I so <laughs> my father was in the air. My father was in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an electrician. He built airplanes. So we moved around every two to four years when I was growing up. <clears throat> um, so we, I, I've lived a ton of places. I was born in the UK. I was born kind of near Cambridge. That's the easiest way to describe where I was born um, in a small town called Mildenhall. Um, it's northeast of London. It's okay if no one knows where it is on a map. But uh, so I was born there. So I'm very lucky that I have dual citizenship. I have U.S. Oh, and yes. U.K. citizenship. It's Sweet. pretty amazing. Le- yeah. Less exciting post-Brexit. Right. But still exciting. <laughs> it, no, <laughs> um, it's still a thing. It's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just nice to have the options. Also, it makes traveling easier sometimes. I can use that U.K. passport instead of the American one. And people treat you differently depending on what passport you flash. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And also it makes lines easier at certain airports, but, um, we lived there. We lived in Georgia outside of Macon for a little while. So when I was, Oh, I'm trying to remember how old I was. You're not talking the country. You're talking the state, the state, the state. Okay. 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 Um, uh, if if it was the country, that would have been really amazing. No, Mm -hmm. uh, the state of Georgia. So we moved there when I was like three, I think maybe four. Um, and we lived there for about four years or so. And uh, so I got kind of this really fascinating thing where I grew up in the countryside in England, but around Air Force bases. But then I grew up kind of in the countryside. Well, Macon's like a weirdly big city, but the Air Force base is like off to the side. I grew up near a swamp. I was uh-huh. in a, lived near a swamp on the Air Force base. And we had those giant palmetto bugs that live in swamps in the South. It was like such a weird experience. I wish um, I, I wish I had then, a blues guitar here right now because of no 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 he lived in the swamp. So and, like, but it's interesting because like I lived in the South, but like mm. I'm the least Southern. I'm not Southern. I would never. Yeah. But my sister was born in Georgia and has very very distinct memories of Georgia. So like we have very different childhoods. Um, then we moved back to England, and I lived in England until I was 13, 
And then we moved to the States permanently. My dad retired. Um, I lived in California. I actually lived in Sacramento for two years when oh, we first okay, moved back yeah. to the States. Sacramento yeah. is a terrible city. I hate it, but it's it's also, you know, it, it's a, a wasteland of pavement with right. a really beautiful old downtown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's downtown and then um, you could always go to Davis too, right? Is there it's yeah, and and we also got as a result, I got to go to San Francisco a bunch. Like I got to yeah. see Northern California in those tiers. It was really wonderful. And then we ended up I I went to high school in Pennsylvania, which is where my parents are both from. Um, so I, What's, I what side of Pennsylvania school. were you like west or east dead center, dead, dead center, right, center. Near wow. Penn, right near Penn state, right next to Penn state university, one town over from Penn yeah. state. It's like, if you look at a map of Pennsylvania and just go like, like stick your finger in the middle, you're going to hit <laughs> where it is. Um, I think I learned that. I think I learned that in sex said what? <laughs> yeah. Ex yes. Yeah, exactly. If you just hit in the middle, you're good. Right. Um, and it's, and it, it, you know, so I had like a very distinct upbringing where like we just moved so much. I think I lived in something like 17 different houses wow. by the time I was in high school. Like it was kind of insane. Like, um, and I lived on Air Force bases, lived off Air Force bases. And by the time I hit the end of high school, I was ready to like run away. So I came out to Santa Fe. I ran away to the desert. <laughs> oh, okay. And then, and then and that's when how you ended up in Santa Fe, but I, Yeah. Oh, so but you did you do New York before Santa Fe? No, so I did undergrad in Santa Fe, ran off to Brooklyn for grad school, and then came back. Oh, that's pretty sweet because you because you got the greatness of yeah. New York City um, experience, and then you're in the beautiful. And I and I got to live in New York at the height of like the hipster era too. And I know people make fun of the hipster era, but like Brooklyn at the height of like Williamsburg hipster time period was so good. <laughs> yeah. It was like so good to be there. Like great nightclubs, great bars, good food, good music. Like it was a wonderful time to be living in Brooklyn. Uh, you know, that early, that mid aughts to mid tens period uh -huh. was just like so good. So good. And we had our <laughs> we had our mission district in San Francisco. I was still living in San Francisco in the mission <laughs> district. And it was and, you know, always oh, had my oh. fedora hat on and my 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 mustache was way more handlebar than those years. <laughs> yep. You're I think I out. still have a I actually had a fedora as well somewhere. Embarrassingly, yeah. still have a fedora somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I I can't go outside. I I have a fedora still and I just I I, I don't wear it because everyone will kick my butt <laughs> yeah and it's become i feel like that's an interesting example of like a fashion that sort of becomes it means something different today than it did then and it's now become like a symbol of like a terminally online nerdy dude who's obnoxious uh, like i feel like that's what it's become i feel like it's turned into sort of this like yes. reddit like or chan dude who like hates diversity in comic books <laughs> yes so it, and i hate how great fashion is killed by some of these people you know what i'm saying yeah fedoras are good hats they're good fedoras <laughs> are great i mean you know after you watch indiana jones when you're a kid you're like i want one of those and then, and then you're and then you're a mustache yeah. and you're like oh wait let's get one that's uh felt black felt so good it's so yeah. good so what was Santa Fe? What what was your oh, yeah. original what was your original drop in Santa Fe where you're like, oh man, this is the city I'm in? So, you know, 
It's kind of amazing. So I was all set to go. So I was going to go to Carnegie Mellon and I was going to study illustration. I wanted to be a comic book or, like artist. That's mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. I wanted to write and draw comic books. Um, that's where my love of writing and storytelling comes from is like serialized monthly comic books. And I was set to go. And I think I had even gotten to a point where I was like, getting room assignments. Like I was like, it was like way past the time you should be applying for new colleges. And I was randomly in the high school guidance counselor's office, just looking at the books. And there was this book that was like Adobe red. It was like terracotta colored. It was like this like violent orange. It's like, it stuck out like a sore thumb amongst all the like blue and green, like, and gray come to our schools. And I was like, what is this book? And I pulled it out. And the first photo was just of these mountains bathed in sunset just like red orange it was like so like and and like beautiful it was just beautiful and like big sky open land and like i looked at it, and it was like you know these adobe buildings because uh i don't know if you've ever been to santa fe but santa fe all the buildings are made out of that kind of mission style adobe they're all like it, it looks like you're on like like a old, like still an old Pueblo. Now, obviously they're not made out of mud still, but like, that's what Santa Fe looks like very much so. And I was like, what are, what are these brown buildings? What is all this not green? It is amazing. And it just suddenly sparked something in my brain where I was like, I have to go there. I have to go to the desert. I have to go somewhere, huh. not East coast, not, <laughs> you know, and I had never really lived, you know, I lived in England. I lived in Georgia. I lived in Pennsylvania and Northern California. All those places are kind of very green, you know, yeah. very like varying, you know, varying degrees of beautiful, like, kind of very similar, actually. Yeah. Beautiful, very beautiful, <clears throat> but very green, very lush. And I was like, I must go somewhere different. And I went to my parents and said, I'm going to I'm going to do this instead. And I am lucky that I have incredibly supportive parents who are like, OK, go to the desert, go study poetry, I guess, and move 1800 miles away from us. Sure. Go do that. <laughs> That's <laughs> and great. They just said, yeah. Sure. And they let me do it. And I'm lucky that the school let me apply as late as I did. Let me come. And I got here and immediately felt at home. You know, I was like, this is what I've been waiting. I was like, this is amazing. It's like, I found myself loving the dryness, loving the desertness, loving the nature of it, even though I'm not like 100%, like I'm not naturally an outdoorsy person. I love the nature. I love looking out my window and seeing like sweeping open land um, and still, but still being in a city, you know, and it's, it, it just, yeah, it was magical. And I think I fell in love with just how like, this is going to sound weird, but the landscape in New Mexico and like in all deserts, there's something slightly alien feeling, something slightly unnerving because it feels like a landscape that you're not supposed to be in, even though you are. And like, there's something just really beautiful about it. I, Santa Fe is really weird though, because we're right next to some mountains that are covered with trees and are currently covered with tons of snow and people are skiing. So Santa Fe is a weird place where it's desert, but it's also sometimes not. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Cause I feel like, like I, 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 I didn't realize how important like the aesthetic of something meant mean meant to me for a while. And mm. I, 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 so I was, and, and I didn't really, this didn't dawn on me until I was in New York earlier this spring. And I was walking with a friend of mine on uh, that. They call it, I guess the high line is that over in Chelsea. 
Oh uh, yeah, the new the new park. Yeah, thing. yeah. So we're walking. I guess on it's that. not new anymore. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was new to me. So it was the first time I'd ever been on it. So I'm walking, and there was this, this yeah. there's this one building that's like a condo that architecturally, um, I, I, it's probably up around 16th. I don't know exactly where, but uh, no, it might mm-hmm. be further up than that. But I looked at it. And it was like a violent assault on me. And I, I started to get anxiety. Like I, I've been prone to oh. like have panic and stuff. And I realized yeah. that this building was giving me the anxiety. And I was like, I can't oh. even look at that building. That building is just terrible. <laughs> That's just the yeah. worst idea on earth. And yeah. like, and look at it here next to all this beauty. <laughs> right. And then I was just, and then I started to realize, oh man, I didn't, I didn't know until earlier this year how much just architecture like it's Mm. it's benign most of the time but when it's beautiful i am struck and when i and when Mm -hmm. it's when it feels assaulting i can't even look at it no you're totally right like there's something about you know i i I love architecture. I love the sort of like the of it but you're right like bad architecture it literally like it makes you feel bad it just makes you feel bad like and and it's not so much like the benign stuff like like you know whatever a fast food restaurant that looks like every other fast food restaurant i could give or take that but when there's something where you're just like it's off yeah the only thing i can compare it to is um in graphic design when you're laying out um typefaces and fonts there's something called kerning and it's the space between the letters Uh and when kerning is off it's like the uncanny valley. It's like what looking at a robot that looks too much like human. It's like that there's something where you just look at something and it just feels bad. It just feels, yeah. it makes you, it just feels awful. But you, it's, if you don't know what you're looking at, you don't quite know how to explain why, but like that little bit of a wrong space or that building that is like someone didn't have an eye or it's hanging in a weird way, or like they used a material that is just off. Like, it's funny how something can just immediately just be like, this is bad. It's bad. Burn it down. It's yeah. And, and I don't, and <laughs> I was trying to think about it. I was like, wait, is this because I have like, uh, I, I do have an em- a empathetic personality. So my, so is that, am I drawing, you know, I, I kind of draw in energy and have to be careful. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if you have to be careful with your energy, but there's like times where like, yeah. I, I I go, oh, I can't go to that party because I'm in the middle of this part of my book and I can't be near anybody right now who would yep. do blank, blank and blank. So I, so sometimes I have to protect myself. And by the way, like the the one weirdo at the party is the guy that I always find. So I'd probably go to the oh, street yeah. to the couch and find you <laughs> just be like, OK, yes, because <laughs> I'm just looking for the other writer in the room. And it's just like, I don't want to be here either. And then we're just like and I'm like, yeah. OK, man, we got to talk. <laughs> but yeah, but, that's I. You're, you're totally right. Like, I, I think maybe there is an empathetic thing. I've always chalked it up to just like, I, I don't like bad art and I don't like bad mm. aesthetics. And when it's bad, it just offends. It just like makes me angry. Um, but I do think maybe you're right. Maybe there is something like about empathy there where it's like, I'm feeling, you know, I live in Santa Fe, which is a very, there's a very new agey element to Santa Fe. Yeah. You know, there's turquoise and gemstones and like yeah. lots of new age hippies here. And so I'm like, a total I'm hippie on the inside. I yeah. just, I, and I, I hate myself for it, but it's there. So, yeah. I mean, I love that stuff too. Like I, I've always been the type of person who's like, I think reading my horoscope is funny, but I'm going to do it. 
you know, I'm going to go ahead and oh, read I'm it. Oh, I'm studying astrology, like it, dude. <laughs> nice, nice. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, so I'm I think like, yeah, that's so good. I think you're right, though. Like, there's something about like, uh, you know, to be really woo-woo about it, the energy of it's off. And you look at a yeah. building and if the energy is off, the energy is off. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's... <laughs> it, it would be like somebody can give me a condominium right across the street from there in the lovely part of Chelsea. And I'd be like, I can't live there. Well, no, no you can live there no. for free. No, I can't look out my no. window. <laughs> I can put foil no, on the every window. Every day. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to sleep. Right. <laughs> like there would be no sleep in this like, house. It is that serious. <laughs> I really couldn't do it. They'd be like, well, you're going to live in Queens yeah. then. And it's and you're living in like East Queens. And I'll be like, that's great. As long as that's not there, that's yeah. great. I'll commute for two hours. There. I, I'm totally good with it. No, I feel this way about a lot of It's funny. Like, I think part of why... I have stayed in Santa Fe for so long is every time I think about moving somewhere, I'm like, the vibes are off. I wouldn't yeah. be able to do it. Like I yeah. can't move. Like, even if it's a beautiful city, like, you know, cause I, you know, I have had an interesting career. I came, I've always been a writer. I've always been a writer who accepted that they were going to be a poor unknown artist. That's always been just part of the plan. And I backed into teaching, which was something I never thought I would do. And I taught for about five years and then I backed into this very weirdo kind of entertainment industry adjacent job. And, you know, I always sort of assumed that that would be true. But like, I've had friends who were like, hey, you now have this job that you could go get jobs at like Disney. You could go get jobs in the film industry. And I was like, yes, but why would I ever, ever move to LA or Orlando or a city where those things are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, <I> this. <laughs> or to the or to companies where the um where they squeeze the creativity out of you too much. Yeah. You know, it's because you come home and don't have the energy. You come yeah. home and they have sucked the energy out of you. And I think that's the thing is like, you know, kind of talking about like writing is often a little bit about there's a magic making there because you have to convince your brain to produce this thing and you have to keep convincing it to happen. Like you have to keep pouring this thing out of yourself. And if you can't rebuild the energy, if you can't recharge that, it's not going to happen. There's only so much of like forcing that, that stuff you can do. And like uh, eventually you're going to just produce crap you know, and then you're going to be, that's, that's depressing. I don't want to be the type of person who produces crap and is okay with producing crap. <laughs> exactly. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. This is awesome. I love this.
You're listening to 92.9 FM, KPCR LP, Santa Cruz.